Hello, and welcome to the Gospel Life Community Church Podcast. Well, it's good to be with you all again. I um, am uh, excited about getting on with this sermon series, and uh, we're just going to move right on along in this sermon series entitled, That You May Know... And like I mentioned during Easter Sunday, the, uh, this book, this letter, this epistle that the Apostle John has written uh, was written for, for various reasons, but one of those reasons that we're going to kind of uh, nail, uh, nail down is so that his listeners, so his readers would understand uh, what it means to be a Christian, so that they would understand that. And so we talked a little bit about that last week during our Easter message, and today we're going to talk about it a little bit more, and we're going to talk about the nature of light. And so this, uh, the, today's message is entitled, Jesus, Light of the World. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know uh, that phrase, I am the light of the world, or you are the light of the world. Um, walking in light, being children of light, those types of phrases. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, about what that means uh, in relation to the assurance of our salvation. Because that's an important thing. It is a, it, for, for anyone who uh, cares about their faith, cares about their spiritual state, and thinks upon it regularly, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, a concerning thing for an individual not to be sure that they are saved. And I want that. I want that for myself, and I want that for you all. And I want that because I believe that the Bible offers that. I believe that God offers that, and we're going to talk about that. And so today we're going to talk about the nature of light. We're going to talk about this idea of Jesus of God being the source of light and how we are to walk in the light and how that is going to sort of shoot us into the future of this book and this letter uh, to give us some insight on what it means to walk in the light. So we're not going to go in full in depth today. We're just sort of introducing this concept. And what you're going to see is that when we talk about walking in the light, the f- further sermons or further instruction will come on what that actually looks at. Or looks like. So let's talk about the nature of light uh, first off. You know, in 2018, NASA was able to photograph what they believed to be the most distant star from Earth ever recorded. Okay, so they publicized this. And the name of, this, of the star, they gave it a name. Now, the, the official name is like M-A-R-C-1-4. I have no idea. It's like going to a library back in the 90s uh, with, uh, with these, uh, what are they called? The catalog, right? And so that's what they name it. But the, the nickname is Icarus. Icarus, and that is named after a Greek mythological character who flew too close to the sun. So if you know that story, uh, Icarus was given these wings and he was told not to fly too low or he would get wet or not to fly too high or he would get too close to the sun. Well, he didn't pay attention. He flew flew too close to the sun and his wings that were made of wax melted and he crashed and burned. And so that's the name of the star that, uh, was, that they gave it. Now, this star is a blue giant, a super giant, which is believed to be about 10,000 to 1 million times hotter than our sun. So this is a, a very hot star in a distant galaxy. Now, the question is, how far away is this star? 
And this is what they say. This star, the light that this star emanates, takes 9 billion years to get to earth. 9 billion years is what they say that this light it would take to get to earth. So by the time the light reaches the point where we can actually see it, the star might not even exist. It might have gone out of existence. So what we might be seeing is just light from a dead star that finally reached us, right? It, the other day, it was kind of funny. Uh, we, were, we were in our front yard, and we had the dogs in our front yard. And then Jackson was way across the creek over at his aunt and uncle's house that they're building. And so it's probably about 150 yards away. And I yelled at Jackson, and you could tell that it took some time for my voice to get over there because he just kind of stood there and looked at me. And then about three or four seconds later, he answered. And then I answered, and you could tell he was getting frustrated because I wasn't answering quick enough, right? It took a little bit of time for our voice to get over there, even if it was just seconds. Well, in this case... 9 billion years. Now, aside from controversies around the age of the earth and the fact that our government has the ability to see light from a distant star but can't seem to get me my stimulus check on time, all right, this is pretty amazing, right? I mean, seriously, I read the article and I'm like, they can check out a star 9 billion years from us and I went into my bank account to see if I had gotten my government money yet, right? I still haven't. So anyway, that's another, that's another aside. The thing is, is that light is amazing. It's an amazing thing. It really is something that we can't fully comprehend. Physicists, scientists are still trying to understand the full nature of light. We know a lot about it. We know how we interact with it, but they're still trying to figure out the full nature of it. I mean, what, it's even hard to describe. Is it photons? Is it waves? Is it particles? Or is it something, something that we, haven't, we can't even put into words yet, right? So that's the nature of light. Now, the Apostle John uses the concept of light to describe the nature of God and the nature of Christ and the nature of God's children, namely Christians, so he uses this concept of light, and what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about why he uses light as an analogy, as an example. And it's more than an analogy, it's a literal uh, use of the word light, and I'll explain that uh, shortly. So this morning we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10, through 10, and I'm going to read this passage and pray, and then we're going to move through this. So 1 John 5-10 through 10 says, 1 John 1, 5 through 10 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today's passage, for today's scripture. We thank you for these 
uh, examples that you give, for these truths that you share through your word, Lord. And I pray that this morning that we might um, understand more fully what it means when the, the author says God is light, that we would understand what that means um, for us as believers as we are making it through this life, Lord. And I pray that we would be children of the light and that we would be children of God and that this, uh, this concept of walking in the light would help assure us of our salvation and our position in Christ. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we walk through this passage, all right, through these five or six verses, what we're going to see is that, the, is that John is using this phrase, uh, this concept of God being light in, in a couple different ways, I believe. And I'm going to try to nail that down. But what I want to do is I want to first walk through just a few passages of Scripture uh, throughout the whole Bible just to explain or demonstrate how light is used through all of Scripture, that this isn't exclusive to John. And so in Genesis, of course, Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, it says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning one day. Now, why does that matter? Why does it matter that God said, let there be light? Now, some individuals believe that this is just a poetic device, and the order of creation really doesn't matter. I disagree. I believe it does matter in the way that Moses wrote the order of creation. And why it matters this morning is that God said, let there be light before there was ever a sun or a star to produce light. Now, what does that mean? How can there be light without a source of light? Well, I believe we can answer that when we look at Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, verses 4 through 5 says, They will see His face. Now, this is in the, in the consummation of history, when, we, when, the, when Christians are now gathered together as the flock uh, in, in, uh, with God, with Christ, in the presence of Christ. So that's what uh, the Apostle John, again, is uh, relating this to. He writes, They will see His face, and the, His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So why is it that we don't need the sun at the beginning of creation? Because the sun is not our ultimate source of light. God is. We can tell even when all things are complete and when when history has culminated in Christ, We can see that we don't need a star, we don't need a sun, we don't need a moon, because God is going to be our light. There will not be any more night, because there is going to be permanent daylight from God. And Paul then takes this concept, all right, now not so much light, but the concept and the nature of God, and then he relates it to Christ. Because it's very important for Paul and John for people to know that when they think of Christ, they can also think of the Father. And so in Colossians, Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus. The firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So, when God said, let there be light, 
Christ was not absent from that discussion. He was right there. And in fact, we see that Christ, that all things were created by Him and through Him. So Christ is also a source of that light. When we go to John chapter 10, the Apostle John says, I and the Father are one. So when we think of God being light, we can also see that Jesus is light. And this is confirmed when John says, when he writes, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. God is light, Jesus is light, and Jesus is telling us to walk in the light. Finally, this is confirmed in the prologue of John's Gospel when he says in verse 4 through 9 of chapter 1, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Folks, darkness cannot, will not overcome light. It will not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, what does this mean? If God is light and Jesus is the image of the invisible God, then as God's adopted children and followers of Christ, it would make sense that Christians, that, that as for Christians, that this light of God would be characteristic of us too. That we would in some way bear this nature of light in our lives. That we would help in some ways shine a light, right? We, again, we don't keep our lamp under a bushel, but we let it shine, right? We let people see this light. And folks, this is not our light. This is the light of God that indwells us through His Holy Spirit. Now, I've said all of that, and basically what I've said is that God is light, and because God is light, Jesus is light, and because we claim to be God's children, we have that source of light in us. That's basically what I've said there, okay? But I wanted to give you some scripture there just to kind of nail that down, all right? Now, Charles Spurgeon says this regarding this being us being a source of light or if you will a lamp for that light to shine he says let us never forget that the light must be first imparted to us or it can never go forth from us we are not lights of the world by nature at best we are but lamps until un unlit until the spirit of god comes now i love that analogy that we are just lamps that have no light whatsoever until that light is lit by the Spirit of God. So we, as Christians, should bear some re resemblance to the light of the world. So what Spurgeon is rightly claiming is that humans created in the image of God are all lamps waiting to be lit. We cannot light ourselves. That light only comes from the true light. So that we can deduce from this information that Christians are, Christians are individuals that walk, live, and emanate the light of Christ. 
If there is no light, then there is no indwelling spirit. And if there is no indwelling spirit, there is no salvation. Or if I could boil it down to this. If we are not emanating the light of Christ in our lives, then we are not saved. It just boils down to that. So what is this light? So one of the first test cases of our salvation is whether we are children of the light or children of darkness. So we need to talk about what does this light actually mean in practical terms. So the first is this, that God is light. Let's talk a little bit about what it means that God is light. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in Him at all. So what does that mean that God is light? Now, we could spend a long time talking about that. I'm going to nail it down in three Three things. God is light means this. That number one, God is true. Number two, God is good. And three, that God is faithful. Now let me just expand on that briefly. Number one, God is true. To say that God is true means more than God doesn't lie. It means more than that. Surely God does not lie. I mean, Scripture says that, that God does not lie. But to say that God is true means more than that. It means that God is the very definition of truth. He is the gold standard of truth. It means that in God there is no deception in God. He is not the deceiver. Satan is the deceiver. God is pure truth. It means that we do not have to attempt to see where God is trying to dupe us. It means that when we try to measure truth, God is the gold standard. We don't measure it by scholars and academics, by pastors or our friends and neighbors. We don't measure truth in that way. We measure truth by God's truth. Now that's going to matter as we come to a close of today's sermon. Because there are many individuals in our society today that are not measuring truth or holiness or goodness by God. They're measuring it by the world around them. So it's sort of like this. If you try to build a house with a measuring stick that is inaccurate and that changes all the time, that house is going to look kind of weird. Because that's exactly what this is like. The world's truth, the world's goodness, the world's holiness or morality, there is no holiness in the world, if you will, but the world's measuring stick changes all the time. You know exactly what I mean. Today, I, it's, this is great. This is a great thing. We watch TV, right? And I will turn on a television show from like or a movie that I watched back in the 80s or back in the 90s, right? And I'll watch it and I'll remind myself, and I'm sitting there watching the movie, and I'm like, that was a great movie. And then all of a sudden, you say, ah, you wouldn't be able to say that today. You can't say that today. You wouldn't be able to do that today. Why? Because the measuring stick has changed. But God is the definition of truth. He does not change. Only God is true. His word is as well. And so we can trust His word and we measure everything according to His word. So that's what it means that God is true. God is also good. And so to say that God is good does not mean that God is the opposite of bad. It's much more than that. It means that God is the gold standard of what is holy, just, right, and moral. 
God defines morality. Now, I find it interesting when individuals, unbelievers who claim to be atheists, try to criticize individuals and try to explain what is right and wrong using a Christian definition of morality. When they say, well, that's just wrong. And you say, how do you know it's wrong? Well, it just is. If you are an atheist, what is your measuring stick? Because God is the measuring stick. They are invoking the name of God without actually invoking it when they start talking about morality. Because without God, there is no sense of morality. If there is no God, there is no right and wrong. We can do whatever we want if there is no God. Right? My truth is just as good as Paul's truth is just as good as Charlotte's truth. My goodness, my measurement of morality or goodness or holiness is just as good as Paul's, as Peggy's, as Crystal's, as Christie's. It doesn't matter, right? But because there is a God and because He is the definition of goodness and truth, there is a measuring stick. It means that when we call something good, we are ultimately comparing it to the goodness of God, which is the definition of good. And then finally, God is faithful. God does what He says He will do. If you want to know what the definition of what faithful is or what a promise keeper is, don't look at your most faithful friend because they will fail you. Don't even look at your spouse who is exceptionally faithful because they will fail you from time to time. But God will not. And when we say that God is faithful, we often say that in regards to our relationship with Him. It means that He keeps His promises. He leads us and will not lead us astray. It means that not only is He light, but He provides light by which we see everything. We see everything. He doesn't hide truth. He illuminates it. He doesn't shroud His goodness. He reveals it. He doesn't withhold His faithfulness. He applies it to our lives. This is what it means in a nutshell. Nutshell. Boy, that was Southern. Nutshell. <laughs> Don't you all notice that every Southern word adds a syllable, right? Soy sauce. Anyway, that's not, I'm, I'm knocking on crystal now. Okay, but the idea is this, okay? In a nutshell, that's what it means that God is light, that He is true, that He is good, and that He is faithful. So when considering God, we never have to wonder if He has the best intentions, right? We never have to wonder whether He has the best intentions. He always has the best intentions for His children, and His intentions always produce what is good and just for His kids. So that's what it means that God is is light. Now what does it mean that we walk in the light? So 1 John 1, 6-7 says, If we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, and, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. So this idea of us walking in the light is the true measuring stick of whether or not we are believers. To put it bluntly, if you walk in the light, if you say you are a child of light, a child of God, and you are walking in the light, 
then rest assured, you are a child of light. But if you say you are a child of light, but you are walking in darkness, then you are a liar, and the truth of God is not in you. Because why? Because God is true. That's just what He is. So what does this even mean? Because God is light, it means that He reveals and illuminates all that is true and good. If God doesn't illuminate it, it means that, the, that it is dark and of the world. Now let me use a, 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 an illustration, if you will, to describe this. Imagine that you're walking downtown Seattle, Louisville, or Chicago. I've walked downtown in all three of those places at night. Okay. Now imagine you're walking in those three places, and you're walking on the sidewalk around 10 p.m., and the majority of the stores have shut down for the night. So it's not like you got all this commotion and all this energy coming from all these stores. They're shut down for the night, okay? Let's say it's Sunday night or something like that. And so they're shut down. And as you are walking, okay, you notice that there are street lamps on the sidewalk that are lighting your way. So every, I don't know, 50 feet or so, there's another street lamp and it's lighting your way so you can see up ahead and you can see where you're going. The light from those lamps reveal curbs, trash cans, street signs, and other people. And so you decide to walk the four blocks along that lit path and you make it safely to your destination. Now it just makes sense to walk in the light, does it not? It just makes common sense to walk in the light. Because walking off the beaten track, out of the light, in the darkness, just doesn't make sense. Now, I put it in Seattle, Louisville, or Chicago, but you could really say this about anywhere. You could say this about anywhere. It doesn't even have to be in a city. But imagine the same scenario, but instead of walking on this lit path, you decide to take a shortcut through the alley. And the alley is dark because there are no street lamps. And as you're walking, you trip over the curb that you couldn't see, you roll into a metal trash can, you stand up and split your head on a street sign that says no outlet. And if there had been street lamps, you'd have been able to see the sign that said no outlet. But you couldn't read it because it was dark. And then to add insult to injury, three 12-year-old girls beat you with a hockey stick and take your money. Because it's always three girls, they come in threes, and they're always carrying a hockey stick. Now, after that scenario, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, if I had only walked in the light. God imparts His light to us so that we can see what He blesses. That's what He's doing. So God's light is illuminating the path before us so that we can see what He blesses, what is true, what is good, what is holy. Folks, God is not in the business keeping secret what is good. He's not keeping secret what is true. He's not trying to dupe us. He reveals it. So when we choose to walk in that light, it is more than just about safety. It's about affirming what God has blessed and choosing to walk the path is laid out for us. When we are choosing to follow God, it's not just so we don't stumble off the curb. It's that we are saying, yes, God, we affirm what you affirm. We bless what you bless. We cry holy to what you cry holy to. 
It's us saying more than just, I don't want to hurt my, stub my toe. It's saying we want to walk the path that God has laid out before us. Now, in the, like the silly illustration above, it is rare that we find ourselves accidentally in the dark. You don't accidentally find yourselves in a dark alley, do you? You choose to walk in the dark alley. You choose to go that way. And God's light never goes out. So as you are walking this lit path, it's not like accidentally one of the street lamps go out in this godly scenario. God's light is permanent. It just stays on. It means that instead of choosing, if we find ourselves in darkness, it, mean, it means that we chose to go there. It means that we intentionally took a shortcut off God's path into this dark path. We chose to do that. You don't accidentally fall out of the way of God. It means that instead of choosing to walk on the path that God has blessed, we have chosen to take a shortcut which leads to sin and death. It means that instead of affirming what God says is holy and good, we have chosen a more sinister path. And you know exactly what that means. That you're walking in the light, or imagine that you're walking in the light, and all of a sudden there is something over here in the alley that's very attractive. And you say, and it's harmless, you think. And so I'm going to step off the path for a short while and embrace this harmless but dark treat. But what we fail to understand is that often when we get off the path, there are other things over there as well that decide to wreck us. Because rarely does one sin stay at one sin. One sin begets another sin begets another sin if we are not careful. This is why it's just smarter to stay on the path, to just walk in the light, just to follow Christ. Now, is it possible to get hurt while walking in the light? It absolutely is true. Is it possible while we are following Christ and following and walking in obedience to still get hurt? It absolutely is true. Sometimes a car will jump off, jump the curb. It happens. Sometimes we do step off the curb intentionally on our own. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes, because of the broken world we live in, even the most committed Christians are impacted by sin and darkness. But if we are children of light, John says that we are forgiven and cleansed from all sin. It means that through Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are not destined to stay off the side of the curb or in that alley, but that through God's work, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, we do have the ability to get back into that path of light. So there's a way back. There is a way back. Quite simply, Jesus is the light. Jesus is in the light. Jesus is the light. And if we claim to be followers of Jesus, that means we too must be standing and walking in the light. This means that we love what Jesus loves, we hate what Jesus hates, we follow where Jesus leads, and when, dark, when the darkness of the world closes in, we draw nearer to Jesus. So when we see that path of light getting narrower, remember, it's not going to go out. But it could get narrower because darkness closes in. What do we do? We don't just go, keep on going straight into the, you know, and, and just run into the darkness. What do we, do? we follow the path of light and we continue to follow Christ. 
Let's finally look at this light that reveals sin. Let's look at the light that reveals sin. So 1 John 8 through 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. And so there are some individuals, not many, who will say, I am always walking in the light. I am always following that lit path of Christ, and I never step off that curb. And what John is saying here is saying, you are a liar. You are a liar. Because there is no one that perfectly walks in the light. And that's true. We all know this. We all fail to perfectly stay on that lit path. And Paul says that. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. By, there's no exception. There is only one individual who has never not been in the light, and that's because it's Christ, because He is the source of light. You know, it's really hard, all right, to not be a source of light when you have a flashlight super glued to your chest. You're just going to be light everywhere, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. And that's Jesus. No one except the Son of God is sinless. And this is a truth that everyone, and especially Christians, must come to grips with. We must come to grips with that there are times that we are going to sin, that we are going to fall. The fact remains that God's light does not merely reveal what is true, good, and holy. It also reveals where there is darkness and sin, right? And so what I mean by that is God's, God's light, and we could by, say that God's Word illuminates what is holy. If you want to know what is good, what is holy, and what is true, don't look to road signs, don't look for Netflix, don't listen to the news. If you want to know what is true, holy, and good, look to God's Word. That is the source of truth. And His light illuminates what is true. We don't have to guess this. We don't have to just assume we know it because God reveals what He blesses and God also reveals what is dark and what is sin. And this is a blessing because God reveals where there is sin so that we can put sin to death. God reveals where darkness resides so that we can avoid it and escape it. Because in many ways, God reveals what is, what, where there is darkness by not, shining, by not illuminating it, if you will. Just stay on the path, continuing to follow Christ. If we were to say that we have no sin... Now, I want you to follow my train of thought here as we close. Because remember what I said the definition of God is light was. That God is true, that God is good, and God is faithful. So I want you to imagine if we say that we are not sinners, even though John has just said that we all are, that Paul has said that. I want you to imagine that. If we are to say that we have no sin, then we would be saying that God's Word is not true. And it also means that we cannot see the sin that God's light is illuminating and revealing to us. And this is likely because we are not actually walking in the light. It means that we are actually not Christians. So if the Bible says that we are all sinners, without exception, yet we say that we have no sin to be forgiven of, then what that means is, 
is that we cannot see our sin or we are ignorant of our sin. And it's likely because that has not been illuminated to us, which means it's likely that we are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit that illuminates that sin, that convicts us, if you will. One of the things that is wonderful but also painful about walking with Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit convicts us. Conviction is not a, a joyful thing to be convicted of sin. Does it not just kind of beat you down a little bit? But it's a blessing that we are convicted of our sin so that we might repent. It's sort of like pain. When you're a kid and you hear, that condi- hear of that condition where somebody can like break their arm, but they don't feel it because they, they have that, that uh, condition where there is no pain, and they're like, man, wouldn't that be awesome? No pain. And as a child, that may sound kind of cool, like you're Superman or Supergirl. But as you grow up and you mature, you're like, that's not a good thing. Pain is there for a purpose. It reveals when, our, when we are injured. When we are sick, there are individuals who can't feel pain who have died because of infections that the rest of us would have been in the emergency room because of the pain. Well, that's the same thing for the Holy Spirit's conviction. The Holy Spirit's conviction can be a painful thing, but it's a good thing because it reveals the sin that's killing us. If we don't have the Holy Spirit convicting us, then what are we doing? Well, we're just walking in the dark. We're just walking in the dark saying that we have no sin. Now, most individuals, even unbelievers, would not be so bold to say that they are perfectly sinless. Even individuals who do not believe in God will still acknowledge uh, sin as a concept. And they would say, no, I'm not sinless, meaning I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, is what they would say. And that's not the typical way that this truth rears its head. Most individuals, very few individuals, are going to go walk around and say, I'm perfect, or I am sinless. Or the way it was made public uh, via a national news conference when somebody asked a very public individual whether or not they have, if they have been forgiven, uh, that individual said, well, I have nothing to be forgiven of. I'm like, really? Okay. But most individuals would never say that because that's not the way this truth rears its head, especially today. This passage becomes more relevant to us when we start talking, when we start affirming and supporting that which God has condemned. I want you to catch that. When we start affirming what God has condemned, that's where this truth rears its head. Without making a list, we can all think of particular behaviors or activities that God has clearly condemned that the world and maybe us now affirm and even celebrate. And that's a problem because what we've done is we've turned the world and its morality and its ethic into the measuring stick and we have revoked God as the measuring stick of what is true, good, and faithful, what is holy and what is righteous. It is not God's duty to conform to our sense of right and wrong. We must conform to it. We must conform to God. And that's just the truth. So how do we know if we are walking in the light? Certainly the Holy Spirit can confirm and convict. However, God's Word is the ultimate adjudicator. And so I often harp on the fact that we need to regularly be reading God's Word. Do I not? I 
almost always, every Sunday, without fail, maybe sometimes I fail, but almost every Sunday, I encourage you all to read God's Word. Now, I want you to know that I am not saying this uh, so that you would read it as some sort of Christian duty. That it's your duty to read God's Word because you just need to be reading God's Word. He gave it to us, you need to read it, and that's that. That is not why I say that. That is not why I say that. The only way for us to walk in the light, to follow Christ, and to have fellowship with God, the source of light, is by knowing God. We must know God to follow Him. You're not going to follow someone you don't know. We need to know Him. The most crucial tool enabling us to know God is His Word. It is true that we must be saved and have the Holy Spirit to help us apply it. However, how will we apply what we have never read? Let me ask you, how is it that someone can say, I am a child of light and I am walking in the light if they have no idea what the light is? How can you say that? That doesn't work. It doesn't fly. Secondly, though, when we walk in the light, we not only have fellowship with God, but we have fellowship with one another, it says. And so similar to how John the Baptist was sent to testify or bear witness to the light. Remember me reading that from the prologue of of John's gospel? It says that John was not the light, but he bore witness to the light. We, too, are doing a similar thing. We also bear witness and testify to Christ. Our faithful, continual fellowship helps us to persevere. So when we gather like this together, this is not just uh, an exercise in futility. This is not just a social club gathering together Sunday by Sunday, Wednesday night by Wednesday night, just so that we can say, well, this is what Christians do. That's not what we're doing. And if that's what you think that we're doing, we need to course correct. What we are doing is we are helping one another in the fellowship to persevere in the faith. Some would even say, and we'll get to this as we, as we get to the end of this book, is that how do I know, how do I know that I am still saved at the end of my life? And my, question, my comment to you or my question back to you will, this, will be this. Did you persevere in the faith? Do you love Jesus today as you did before? And hopefully their answer will be, well, I love Him more. Well, there you go. And this fellowship helps us to persevere in that way. I am a stronger, more mature Christian, not mostly because of seminary, not mostly because I have a vast library that I'm very proud of, and that crystal's still ticking off of the the, uh, budget, all right? But it's because of you all. It's because of my former church. It's because of my friends and family members that are Christians that speak truth into me, that shine the light that was given to them into my life. Remember that God is the ultimate source of light, but that we are all these lamps shining light as well, and we need to be aware of that. So how does this help us to be assured of our salvation? Well, the question is this, are you walking in the light? Are you walking in the light this morning? Are you following Christ? Truly is the pattern of your life characterized by daily following Jesus. 
do you make a concerted effort or a, do you intentionally follow Christ every day of your life? Do you choose to follow Christ daily? Or do you choose to regularly get off the beaten path and walk down that dark alley because there's something shiny over there? Remember, the pattern of our lives should be modeled after and compared to that of Jesus, not your neighbor. So if I ask you, are you walking in the light? Please do not tell me, well, I'm walking in the light better than that person. I'm walking in the light better than my husband, or I'm walking in the light better than my wife, or I'm walking in the light better than so-and-so. Folks, that is an ever-changing measuring stick. Do not ever compare yourself to another individual of your holiness, because that's not who we are to compare ourselves to. What does 1 Peter say in chapter 1, verse 16? For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. God is the ultimate source of light. He is the definition of truth, of goodness and faithfulness. Not your friend, not your family member, not your spouse. Are you walking in the light? Peter did not say, be holier than your neighbor and surely your heavenly ticket will be stamped. He didn't say that. He said, be holy because I am holy. So over the next several weeks, we are going to dissect more specifically what it looks like to walk in the light. But in the end, this is what I, want to, I, I just want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, do I look like Jesus? Do I look like Jesus? Do I love what Jesus loves? Do I hate what Jesus hates? Do I affirm and bless what God affirms and blesses? Or do I affirm and bless that which God condemns? To be, to be honest, being assured of our salvation is not a difficult thing. It's not a difficult thing. If we know what we're looking for. But for now, are you walking in the light? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. And we ask your blessings on us as we close today, Lord. We thank you for your loving kindness to us. And we thank you for providing that light of yourself to illuminate the path in which you call us to walk and to reveal sin in our lives that you call us to put to death. Be with us now as we respond to your word. We love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.